Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast from Indonesia, we have a well-traveled, long-term hasher you may recognize from many interhash stages, organizer and key figure in many world interhashes, the Interhash Council. It's Disco Wanker. Welcome. Hey, Ra. How hey. you doing, Ra? Great. Disco, tell everybody your background in terms of when and where and how you started hashing. Although I'm um, I'm currently working and living in Bali, I've been here for the last 30 odd years. I'm actually from Wales in the UK and I traveled around the world as a DJ and ended up working in Bali in 1993. I was working as entertainment manager for the Bali Dynasty Resort in Kuta and I'd never heard of the Hash House Harriers at the time. Uh, the general manager was a hasher and his hash name was Ming, a uh, great name. And he used to do hash th- run three times a week. And he invited me and I said, hash, run? I'm no runner, I'm a drinker. And he said, perfect. So he dragged me to uh, my first hash run, which I walked and then I drank beer and I was hooked. And that's how I got into hashing. Cool. Was that Bali 1? Bali Hash 2 on a Saturday. Okay. How about how many people were there? Back in the 90s, we used to get about 80 to 100 uh, every Saturday. It was quite good. You mentioned your DJing took you to Bali. How'd you get your hash name? Right. That was Victor Nightjar Mason, the founder and grandmaster of the Bali Hash. He gave me my name, Disco Wanker, because I managed hotel nightclubs and bars. In my last 28 years of hashing, you know, I've I've done being GM and RA and scribed. And and I know I started doing international events. I met you, I guess. Let's talk about these characters in depth. There's quite a few legendary characters there that you know pretty well, and maybe you're the best person to report on, like Nightjar. But first, let's talk about you. Where have you hashing, and what got you into mismanagement? We were going to bid for Bali in 2004 in Cardiff. That was my first interhash. I've only missed one since then. That's the Fiji one, because due to work. My dream was to get the interhash to Bali, and we pitched at each of the interhashes after our third failed attempt, I think it was. The Java hash came to me and pitched me the Bura Bado interhash idea, and I went for it. So I was pretty hooked on international hashes after that, to be honest. Let's just take a quick diversion to Nightjar. He's a, an amazing right. character. Tell people who don't know him about Nightjar. Nightjar. Victor Mason, aka Nightjar, he was the guy that actually started the Bali hash back in 1977. He hashed over in Cambridge. He started in Cambridge, his, his mother hash, I think. He went to Hong Kong and did some hashing there. I think he started one of the hash clubs in Hong Kong. I'm not sure which one that was. He then moved to Bali and there was no hashes in 1977 during that time. And uh, he started the Bali hash, which was on, um, I think, on a Monday at that time. He started that and it grew and grew and grew. And then there was sort of other hashes from his hash. Then he he decided to uh, pitch for Interhash in 1988, uh, which he successfully did. So he brought, he was the first one to bring Interhash to Bali in 1988. He's written bird books and he's had um, uh, Mick Jagger and um, David Bowie on his bird walks. You know, he's, <laughs> he's a very well-to-do guy, really, but a famous guy. Good friend of yours. How would you describe him? 
as a character? Uh, I describe him as eccentric. He's a survivor. He has so much hash knowledge, you know, from way back. He used to know Tim Hughes, mm -hmm. Tim Magic Hughes from Bangkok, all those luminaries back in the old days. And we're trying to get him to write a book about it, actually, about the history of hash, because it'll be a pretty shame if, if he doesn't get something written down. I mean, he's 82 years old. He's just one of those survivors. You know, he's, he's just an amazing character to have a drink with. Speaks about three or four different languages. Amazing guy. I think he'll outlive us all. The Keith Richards of, uh, of Hash, I think. Yeah. What, over these past several decades, is for people who haven't been there, what's a regular Bali Hash like? A weekly Bali Hash? What I always love about Bali, and I've taken so many people on Bali Hash, that we go out in the middle of nowhere with beautiful scenery. You know, it's always rice terraces and valleys and beautiful rivers. And it's just somewhere that you could take somebody on a hash run and it's, it's off the beaten track. It's not anywhere near the touristy places. Mm -hmm. and, and just being out there in, in the wild and just hearing the birds and, and seeing all the wildlife and meeting the little, they all give you, give you a high five. It's just an amazing experience. And you get a real insight in what Bali's all about, really, the real Bali when you go on a hash run. Go to World Inner Hash in Bora Bador. It's an astonishing event, grand in scale, like Bali, a place yes. that had just incredible scenery, background, and setting. We chose Bora Bador because of the temples. We wanted to do it around the temples. I mean, to start at the very beginning, one week before the Bora Bador into Hash, I organized the Great Java Train Rumble. I did the Great Java Train Rumble one week before the big event, and the Bandogan Jakarta Hashes helped me with that. And we had 250 hashes on the Train Rumble. It lasted for a week. And we basically, we hashed with Jakarta hash and Bandung hash. And then we went and got the train to Jogjakarta. The only part of the train rumble I didn't manage to succeed was I wanted to transport everyone from the hotel in Jakarta to the train station about 30 minutes away by army trucks instead <laughs> of buses. But the army backed out last minute, you know, and they thought it was not a good idea for people to see 250 Westerners going through Jakarta in open backed army trucks. So in the end, we had to opt for buses. Wow. But it was a good idea. Did everything go as planned the whole way through that train rumble? Yeah. Any adventures? The Jakarta train company were brilliant. They allowed us to take our own beer on the train, which is unheard of. And they gave us extra security. And in Bandung, the mayor came out and welcomed us at the train station. It was just a fantastic start to the to the Borobudur, you know. And when we arrived in Jogja, then we had a big party. You're a key figure in putting on the inner hash there and yes. you arrived just before so everything That's was right. what's the background of getting everything in order for the inner hash because some people might say wow that's kind of crazy not to be there the week before you're out enjoying life because everything was prepared how long did it take and how much effort went into planning and preparing uh, okay it actually took about two to four years of planning to be honest before we actually got the bid we, we were already starting to plan on doing something there so the we wanted to make it special. The main stage was set up in front of the Prambanan Temple for the opening night on the Friday. And then the Borobudur Temple for Saturday, we had the grand party and the farewell party on the Sunday. So the temples were actually our stage backdrops. You know, they were amazing backdrops. But a big challenge because they're both holy places. So we thought, no way would they let us have alcohol there. But amazingly, they were so lovely and supportive, they gave us permission. So the thought of having so many tourists who've never been to Central Java before also made up their mind, I guess. Before we staged the event, a midget molester and the penguin and myself were granted an audience with the Sultan of Jogja. So we needed his blessing. And he was like Javanese royalty. 
So we sat down in his palace's dining room and we were served tea and china cups by his uniformed staff, white gloves, the whole deal. (laughs) It was just amazing. And what did he think of this idea of hashing? Was that an idea he was at all familiar with? Well, again, luck was on our side because the Sultan, he was a younger gentleman and uh, was a hasher with a Jogjakarta hash. So he knew about hashing. Oh, my gosh. And I think that's what sealed it for us, really. Yeah. Let's go through the list of all the things that were special about that world inner hash. Okay. Our main challenge probably was the two temples were a little bit out of Jogja's. It was actually in Magalang where Interhash Chairman King Kong lived. So there was to be our office and the committee HQ. Once we'd won the vote back in 2000, 2010, we traveled a lot promoting the event for two years, and it was Midget Molester. We based him at Committee HQ for at least 18 months, perhaps more. And because of my work commitments, I worked full time in the office for the last six months leading up to the event. Midget Molester was there for a good 18 months, I reckon. So, apart from our Committee HQ, they put us up in a house in Magalang City. Me and Midget Molester, we shared that. We had our own driver. Every night we used to have a bit of a challenge looking for a restaurant to find somewhere that served cold beer, but we did. Midget Molester was the operation manager, and my title was vice chairman, but I was actually the entertainment guy. So apart from being the stage manager on the night, I found the bands, the dancers, and the wonderful MC we had, which was you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there were events before and after the actual three-day event. Wednesday, we had a welcome party for quite a lot of hashes. I think we had about six or eight busloads of people we invited from the Interhash just to come up and join us at the house of King Kong in Magellan. So we bust them there, like amazing party there, you know, like a big barbecue type thing. That was on the Wednesday. Then the Thursday, we actually had the red dress run. They shut down the entire city of Magellan for us. They had the police, army and medical team supporting us. And we had over, I think it was 200 dancers in the main street. And the army even did a musical marching acrobatic show for us. It was amazing in the middle of that red dress run. It was just great. Spectacular event. I kind of remember in King Kong's house, a bunch of, I think, British hashers singing, My Garden Shed is Bigger Than This. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) In the cavern or something. I think there were two bands at that house party. Yes, there were. Different parts of that. The the place is gigantic with a thing, and it was just a very comfortable, unpretentious, great hash gown. It was plenty of beer and food and, and all the dignitaries and luminaries from the hash there. It was it was quite something. That's that one. And what about the president's run? Right. The president's run was actually on the Friday. Was, uh, sorry, the Saturday. Saturday morning it was a bit of a last minute thing because, I mean, the ante definitely went up once the president of Indonesia decided he'd join. He'd heard of the event from the Sultan and he brought nine of his ministers with him. So I remember we delayed some of Friday's opening party and the fireworks display because he was on his way from the airport to the venue. So that really upped the ante. But the president's run was something else. He had about 100 bodyguards. We had a thousand dancers. It was just like surreal to walk in with us. Uh, For people that weren't there, there was, I think, Academy Cadets in uniform all there. And they sang in their, of course, Indonesian song. It was to the tune of A Long Way to Tipperary. And that, that launched the thing. And off we went. And the president, I think, and his wife were on trail together. I was with them for just a little stretch of it. He was protected, but he wasn't, they weren't acting like there was danger or stay away. He was very accessible. You could actually uh, go up and shake his hand, hand, you know, very, very, very slowly. He'd be okay with it. 
So that was quite cool. Some of the hashes definitely got a good photograph with him. Yeah. At the very end, he was very popular. So the Indonesian population turned out in massive throngs to be they there did. at the end of the end run. It was a cool. He was such a good sport. Um, they all put on into hash t-shirts we give them, and then uh, he sang a hash song yeah. on stage. Right. I mean, it was like mind blowing, you know. Did you go there with the hash buses that morning? Um, I went before because we were living quite close. It was quite close to Magalang. Uh, the run was. So we went there in the morning uh, before we arrived. All the army were there and they'd set up their parachutes like tents. All these amazing <clears throat> green parachutes. Like an Olympic opening ceremony. It was such a big scale event that the government yeah. could put on. For my memory, as one of the people in the dozen or so buses, early in the morning, the streets, it seemed like for an, more than an hour, the streets were lined by screaming, uniformed, waving, smiling children, treating us like VIPs for an hour with a police escort. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was great. That's they all came out. I think they had the day off for that because they knew the president was coming. Uh-huh. They were all out. It was an amazing, enchanting experience. Are there any behind the scenes panics or worries you had close to the event or during the event? Worries? Uh, I guess there was quite a lot. <laughs> Midget Molester's office was like one of those police offices, you know, with papers and post-its of crime suspects all pinned to the wall. <laughs> I wish we took some photographs of that, but maybe Midget Molester's got some. And he was very thorough because he was previously a Boeing engineer building planes. So everything he did was meticulously planned down to the very smallest detail. Uh, not everyone can handle that, and it did confuse a lot of people, but only those that couldn't really get their head around what Midget Molester wanted. You know, so it wasn't so bad. We, we got around it all. I mean, we had a, a great team backing us at Committee HQ. I mean, besides Midget Molester and myself, we had about eight or ten local hashes working full-time with us. Then closer to the event, we were lucky to have hash luminaries like the Penguin, Lickham, Snowballs, uh, the late De Tulipita. Uh, they all came and helped in the office. It was, it was just brilliant. Great. Well, let's talk about the trails. What went into mm-hmm. the logistics of doing the trails near these temples. Right. Because there were such holy places, the security was there, the police were there, but you know what? They were very hard to find, but they were they were there. But even on the runs, they decided to help us with uh, the army wanted to uh, to be, you know, to sweep the runs and anybody got lost. Um, they had all the medical uh, facilities from the army. They had the whole shebang there. They just give us a full support. And that was before the president uh, decided to come. So I think King Kong wangled so many things, got the army on our side. It was just, you know, everybody joined together because it was just a one-off, one-off occasion. And they all came to the ball. They were, they were so good. Yeah. What about the ball buster? Was that, did everybody make it in? Do you remember anything with the ball buster trail? I was probably at the beer tent. What I was told, it was, it was really quite long, but quite a lot of people finished it and got their uh, special t-shirt. I think my friend Don Yeti, he did it and he finished it. So, and he was a pretty, you know, he was a, not a really 100% fit runner, dare I say, mm-hmm. but um, he managed to finish the, the 26 miles or whatever it was. It was a long one anyway, but uh, yeah, it was good. The feedback was pretty good. Cool. And on the runs, we had food, food on the buses. We had drink on the buses. You name it, just there for them. What was the beer details for the event? Luckily, Cardiff had given us a lot of stats on how many thousands would drink so many beers, right? So at least we had something to go on. I'll pass on to um, Trinidad and Tobago as well, because it, it does help. So we had a bit of a, an idea of how much 
a drink we would go through, and it was Bintang Beer was our sponsor. We told them what we wanted. We told them we wanted taps, you know, beer taps at each of the runs at the events in the night. And, and they were great. I don't think, I think the only problem we had was everybody came back at once on the red dress run and it was a bit of a queue. But that was the only queue for beer I saw during the whole weekend. So that was a bit of a hiccup. Yeah. So King Kong was a GM. What was his involvement in this inner hash? How would you characterize that or detail that? Again, his dream was always to have a big event and not necessarily inter hash. Maybe he wanted Pan Inno or Pan Asia, but inter hash was his baby. And he put a lot of his own money into that. Not everybody obviously can afford to do that, but he calls himself a chicken farmer, right? But <laughs> you know, he supplies chicken to the whole of KFC of Indonesia. Wow. So he's a chicken farmer. Yeah. So we had chicken on at least one of the meals of the trail. Was that his yeah, stuff? That's yeah, that's all his stuff. So he's a millionaire. I mean, he, he did it just be, just was a hobby, if you could believe that. But it's true. He came out of his own pocket. Amazing guy. So humble. Yeah. And he's been to Interhashes. He knows the world scene. He knows what the yeah. standard and what hashers are going to value and appreciate. Yeah, he's been to lots of interhash uh, events. The only struggle we had during the time back in 2012 was his English wasn't that great. So we had to get around that, you know, through mm-hmm. translators and things. <laughs> yeah. But we, we, you know, it's okay. You've worked with him or coordinated with him as being part of his team on other events where you've both been. What was your involvement with the next inner hash that was in Bali? Well, we pitched in Hainan. I remember it being very cold. The beer wasn't as strong as everybody thought it would be. Uh, the event was good. But it was very like Chinese cabaret type thing, mm-hmm. which was which is fine. It you know it was lacking something. They couldn't do the down down competition uh, on stage because they didn't really get it. The Chinese organizers didn't get it. So there was a few things that that were funny about it. When I was doing my pitch on stage, the full moon came out right behind me, and I said, "Hey, I brought the moon with me from Bali," <laughs> and the place went nuts. <laughs> Just yeah. coincidentally, you know, but Hainan was a great event and we won the uh, the pitch. So it was always my dream to have it in Bali from way back in 2004, but we kept on losing it because, you know, we had bombs going off at that time and all sorts of, of things going on. So, so you never really get it. Yeah. Let me ask you two things. One, how is it to go to an inner hash after having put all the work in and organized one and then just go to one as a hash? Oh, I've never been to an interhash where I haven't worked because we were pitching in Cardiff and Chiang Mai and Perth. Then I, I did Borobudur. Then I was working in Kuching and Hainan to get the next one. Uh, it was, I don't think I've ever had a day off where, you know, where I can actually relax and enjoy an interhash. Not yet, anyway. All right, let's talk in detail about the Bali interhash. What was your involvement mm. with that? When we won it, I asked King Kong to help me. And of course, he said yes. He just loves doing that sort of thing. And he made me, I was vice chairman of that one. Aoi Papakash was chairman, and then King Kong was, I think he called himself vice chairman as well, I think. He also put some money into the event as well himself. I'm sure he did. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I'm almost certain he did. He's just that type of guy. He, you know, he was like, um, have you got a, a shirt for the red dress? Um, no. Okay, let's get one. <laughs> wow. It's like, it was a bit like that. The same happened with the rugby. If you remember the rugby, you oh, played in that. I did. It was, it was a great event. It was uh, fun. And they made an announcement to pull me over. They said, anybody comes over to rugby, get, we're giving away free beer. Yeah, that's right. We had the beer sponsored and the shirts. And then it was Northern Hemisphere versus Southern Hemisphere. And you played. I, I can't remember who won. I, I can tell you, I never really played rugby. I played some touch rugby with the civilians kind of in Cairo. But I played American football. I 
got the gist of it, but I ran out to the field when I first showed up. Somebody called for a substitute, and that event was touch rugby. I didn't see what was happening ahead of time. So I went out and grabbed one of these guys who was twice my size, and I'm trying to drag him to the ground, and he's smacking me on the head says, What's the matter with you? This isn't tackle. (laughs) I do remember also intercepting one pass and running down the field and being so excited. Oh my God, I'm going to score a touch that I (laughs) fell fell over. And the the referee said, well, he couldn't have just fallen over and he called tripping on someone. So (laughs) it was, I didn't protest and correct him. I just accepted the fake penalty. (laughs) Actually, we were helped by a guy, a hatcher called Pom. Hash from Australia because he's a rugby guy. But I mean, rugby has been part of Interhash uh, on the side yeah. for 10 years or more. And uh, maybe Trinidad and Tobago want to, because Trinidad got a good rugby side, I'm sure of it. Sure. Surely, maybe they should oh. put something on. Yeah, I talked to uh, Noodles about Noodles. that. And she's keen yeah. to have, uh, she probably would accept some help with who coordinates that, but it's definitely going to be part of it. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they're excited about that. Fine. I'm sure we could help with that. And I'm talking of noodles as well. Uh, I, I'm holding the Down Down competition, uh, not the pewter mugs, but I've got the uh, the big wooden prick trophy, yeah. which we've actually whittled down to quarter of the size because it was just too big to carry around. Uh, that's for the men's, you know, Down Down yeah. prize. And then the bust, the wooden bust, uh, we're going to whittle that down to size as well so it's easy to carry around. It was just too big. Customs people were giving me a hell of a time with that. Let's talk about that. A lot of people will listen to these podcasts and most hashers never make it to a world interhash, but they know mm-hmm. about down downs and they know about down down contests. But what are your memories over the years of the interhash down down contest and how much beer is actually in that mug? Well, they all always prepare buckets and it's uh, the down down team are regulars. It's Garfield, the Penguin, Froggy Park as the MC, got Chesty, Mr. Magoo and Mellow Foreskin Cheese. Those guys do it every year. They've got it organized down to a T, you know, the, no spillage. They got their timing clock. And uh, we've had like legends like Deep Throat, RTC, Hooray Henry, to name but a few. I mean, it's a two liter pewter mug that was donated by Jakarta Hash. And I think the record for two liters was about eight seconds yeah. uh, in Chiang Mai. I think No Mercy from Lagos Ash. And then the one liter pewter mug was donated by the Bangkok Harriets in memory of their champion called Deep Throat. I mean, everybody's called Deep Throat. So there's a lot of history and tradition in, in the down downs. And we've actually cleaned up the pewter mugs and took a few dents out of them. And so they're ready to go as well. So they will be in Trinidad and Tobago. Cool. We'll make sure they're there. Is anyone from Bali ever enter that? Yeah, they did. In, in Border Bador, they did. My friend Don uh, Yeti, his hash name is, uh, he had a go at it. But it's really difficult. When, I mean, you've been drinking beer all night, then you've got to do a two liter down down mm-hmm. of beer, a cold beer. It's not easy. So eight seconds for the the record of two liters it's just an amazing time i think there are quite a few people who have been to borbador who say yep absolutely the best inner hash there was so much great about it it's hard to be objective maybe let's say apart from those two you were on mismanagement what were your favorite inner hashes or moments in inner hashes over the years oh ah uh, yeah yeah i've got a few great memories i think one of them was the amazingly long bar the cardiff interhash 2004 uh-huh. at the millennium stadium a huge long bar um, the size of a width of a football field. And they had so many great beers, and it was like a hashes dream, really. Uh-huh. And uh, Cardiff and the Hash had the, like, the best of British hashes on their team. You know, they had hashing leg- legends like GBH, Hugh Ryan, Captain Beaky, Ride, and 
table wine. I mean, I mean so many more. Cardiff had the, the dream team of Britain, the best of British, to do that interhash. Yeah. And then the other thing I really remember was everybody releasing those Thai lanterns, Kom Lo, I think they called, at the Chiang Mai interhash. Do you remember yeah, that? I do. That was magical. That was a great moment. It was feeling of a huge group of hashers. And because we had to work in teams of four, Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was right. spectacular. So to get the thing in the air, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't easy. Yeah. I can tell you one thing. The interesting thing to me was the very opening of Chiang Mai. The oh, yeah. mismanagement came in on elephants. Yeah, yeah. That was and, brilliant. And they came up and said, okay, we've never done this before. We don't know what's going to happen. So whatever happens, whatever the elephants do, just keep talking and act like that's what we expected. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, great. No, another great committee, you know, Chiang Mai, again. I think there was three or four different countries involved in the Chiang Mai dash. Awesome, awesome event. I mean, yeah, great. absolutely. You know? Yeah, they've all got their own, they've all put their own stamp on it. That's the joy of it. What about ballyhashing? Have you gotten yourself hurt or lost? The jungles can be unforgiving there. I've had a few falls. I've had one bad fall when I nearly fell in a, a river from a, about 10 meters. But luckily, a real sharp piece of bamboo caught my shorts and stopped me from falling. <laughs> That's probably, yeah, I know, that's probably the worst time I've ever had. I couldn't stop shaking for, like, for a couple of hours after that. It's just, you know, you, you think you're going to fall to your, not, maybe not death, but you're going to fall into a river and who knows what's happened. Yeah, that's probably my hairiest time I've ever had, falling almost into the river mm. from 20 meters up. <laughs> how do you characterize hash or tell about hash or what is important or the essence of hashing to you? Well, I think it's all about camaraderie, you know, that's the best thing. I mean, go and meeting people that maybe in Interhash or a yearly annual event, uh, meeting people that you haven't seen for a long time and just catching up on it. Yeah, that, that's the great thing about it. There's always a discussion at those international events about the demographic of hash. Has it become an old people's activity? That's the big question. But I think we're all in agreement that we do see a lot of youngsters coming through. Mm-hmm. So in Bali, you know, we've 130 hashes a week, probably on average, and 30 of them are kids who come with their parents. So I think, you know, the hash is in good hands, mm-hmm. as us uh, old timers pass it on. But we like to say we have no rules, but we do have history and traditions. And I think it's it's good to teach the youngsters that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm really into, I'm a traditionalist, I think. <laughs> Where else have you hashed just on trips in the region outside of Bali? Thailand and Philippines mainly. Um, I haven't done so much in Malaysia, but when we were pitching for the events, we, we did a lot in Hong Kong and Bangkok. Well, in Australia, went down there. Yeah, all over Asia, almost, except for about just once in, in Malaysia. I didn't do Malaysia a lot for some reason. Uh, we just didn't get around to it. Hashing in Asia is a bit, you know, they're fanatics, and, and it's it's lovely to see. Yeah, you mentioned Bandung. Bandung, yeah, Bandung. They have the largest hash club in the world. I think on the Monday hash, they have about three to 500 people every week <laughs> on that run. Their own clubhouse. It's amazing. Yeah, for people that have never been to something that large, it's mind-blowing for people to get together with six to 12 hashers a week, yeah. It's definitely an experience. If you ever get to Java after all this nonsense is over, then Bandung hash should be on your bucket list, definitely. As you were starting hashing, you're a DJ entertainment guy or a stage presence at these events. What about you running a circle? What's a circle like that Disco Wanker runs? Ah, I probably choose my victims. While the hash mask is on, I probably choose my victims. You know, maybe they're wearing something stupid or 
not wearing something stupid, perhaps they've done something, maybe they've someone's caught him peeing on, on the run or something like that. So I choose all my victims, then I don't have to write any notes because I'm getting a bit old, you know, I'm, I'm 65 now, my memory's not that brilliant anymore. Once I'm in the circle, I just pick on, on the people that I've got in mind. And uh, like the other day we did singing in the rain and I had two guys ready with buckets of cold water to drown everybody after the chorus is finished. Do a few songs as well. And I, I've learned all my songs from music, you know, mm-hmm. music. Sure. Yeah, he's yeah. been on here and talked about his origins in Okinawa. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. What about the future, both of you and more events you might get involved in and the future of The Hash? Well, like I said, I think The Hash is in good hands, you know. I was talking to uh, Nightjar the other day about that, and he says the same thing. As long as we pass on those traditions and, and the kids, they do respect it and they enjoy it and they, and they get really into it. I really hope that uh, once this COVID crap is over, that fellow Hash event organizers around the world keep on giving us great Hash events to attend you know i would certainly lend a hand or if they they need some advice i've written the book so there's no need to rewrite it i guess yeah. and i've done it twice now so uh, i've got all the info for for noodles and I, I would gladly pass it on well i promise to anyway put you, you know. guys in touch again or conduit there yeah. also i'm part of the interhash advisory council too yeah, talk about that. We just call it the Interhash Council now, maybe. Okay. Officially, right. but it's the same thing. What was your the origins? I really think the introduction of the Interhash Council is it's a fantastic idea because it's a great place to seek out advice from hashes in the know who've been there, done that, and they were a pretty level-headed bunch with no sort of ulterior motives for giving the advice they offer. All Interhash nominees are asked to fill out like a performer questionnaire to see if their countries have the criteria to stage a large event with regards to big enough event area, hotels, public transport, airlines, security and beer, of course. It's probably an interhash Bible, if you like, or, or like you tick all the boxes. As I said, why reinvent the wheel, you know? If you can tick all the boxes, then you'll get the council's blessing and uh, support. And all the interhash guidelines are there. You can follow them if you wish. But of course, each country, you know, they put their, they've got their own style and, and they always put their own stamp on it. That's the joy of having it in different countries, I guess. It's there to protect the interests of hashes, to make sure they get what they paid for uh, and a good bang for their buck, basically. And it's advisory, volunteer, unpaid. That's correct. There's no pretense of control? No, not at all. It's just a guideline, that's all. You don't have to follow their advice if you don't want to, but it's there for them if they want it. Another thing they coordinate is we actually do the vote counting. What is it like in the vote counting room when you're a bidder? It's it's the most stressful time of the whole, <laughs> the whole thing. To see those votes piling up on tables for yourself and then somebody else catching you up, it's a nerve-wracking experience. And dead quiet, almost. Dead quiet. Nobody speaks at all. And there's no beer involved or no alcohol. And everybody's really focused on the numbers and the counts, and they double-check it. And we've got really you know, fantastic people um, who's volunteered to, to do that and with no ulterior motives. And I think it, it's worked fine the last two or three years. I know there's been a few incidents. I think in Kuching there was a problem. I think it's it's starting to sort itself out. Trinidad promises to have electronic chip voting on your wrist mm. and all kind of stuff. So yeah, they have an easy tech thing, and maybe the time has come where it'll be automated and there'll be paper backup if it's close. And yeah. my kids, yeah, that's a great idea. I think, and then you know, it, it just eliminates uh, any mistakes, no mistakes with a system like that. So that that's great. It's getting more and more streamlined in every uh, event. I think. How long have you been a DJ? What age did you start, and how long have you been? doing that oh 
I started DJing when I was about 17 and I think I left the UK in about 24 and started traveling around the world as, as an international DJ. But I was working in mainly five-star hotels, you know, the five-star hotel like the Shangri-La and the Sheraton and the Hilton. And I was doing that for uh, a good 10 years and that's what brought me to Bali, really. But now DJs these days, I mean, they're getting millions of dollars. So <laughs> I was DJ at the wrong time, I think. Born too early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, born too early. You got it. Okay. Hey, I got a good question for you, actually, that okay. nobody's asked you yet. Okay. Uh, what was the first Interhash that you actually emceed? It was Cyprus in 96. It was very fun because I got to know urine and the, the Limassol and all the Cyprus hashes. I hashed all over Cyprus often because I was living in Cairo. And we took a bunch of people to the Cyprus 200th hash. And they were doing a raffle or something at the end. And I didn't know them very well, but I'm, I, my personality is kind of calm, but I'm a little bit pushy when I'm at the hash, maybe. And I went up to yeah. her and said, this is kind of boring. Could you just give me the microphone? And I promise it'll be fun. And I took over and they were good sports and we had a great night. There were so many Cairo hashes there supporting them. And then Urine asked us to bring a plane load over for the 333 Cypress hash to do a dry run. And we ran through all the registration, all the logistics of them doing an interhash on a small scale, but they could test their systems. Wow, nice. And so I knew them very well and hashed over there and urine just, we'd been so many circles together. He just said, are you willing to give up your weekend and run the stage? I did. That was, that was just fun. And I was all dressed up in my usual RA gear. And I get a lot of credit for being in the right place at the right time to say, I've actually done something. The stage shows like Surrey Barnes, Rocky Horror, some of that, some, some of that great, great stuff people remember. And I get some little, you know, collateral credit for as if I did something when there's great energy. Entertainment. So I love great hash acts of people thank me yeah. for them for some reason yeah. <laughs> well you know i think watching you in action like for a few times now you have a pretty strong stage presence and you need that because otherwise people take advantage of you try and grab the mic off you but you don't take any crap from anybody and i, and I think that's your strong point up there and people respect you because they know you now from every year yeah. so you've got the people's respect already and, and if you've got that you know, you're 90 percent of the way there right uh, over the years, I've done a lot of inner hashes and I've talked to some, the organizers sometimes and said, you know, it's really tempting to want to have someone up there who's put in the work and they're going to want to have that stage time. And I yeah. try to convince them you don't want to be up there. You're going to take <laughs> abuse. I've had bad stories I won't share right now, but I've had people angry and things. And I said, let me take that because yeah, the people yeah. can yell at me. They're not going to ruin your weekend. And I can play off a little bit of, I don't have the authority right now to give you exactly what you want. I'll work on it. Although I love it. I look at it sometimes as let me protect the mismanagement committee that are doing the real work. Yeah. 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 I think you need to do a, a damn good job. I always think the same way, actually. I think if you're going to give, you know, I give a lot of crap when I'm RA, but you've got to be able to take it back as well. And if you yeah. can't, then don't give it. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm my personal behind the scenes thing is you basically have to be up there and put your ego away and pretend you have the biggest ego in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you, you're great. So you, you haven't missed any uh, since Cyprus. You haven't missed any. Oh, well, I, 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 I start, I went to the inner hash in Rotorua 
as MC, I was Perth did their own and somebody else did their own. Oh, oh Fiji. Yeah, yeah. Fiji did their own MCing. Again, Perth had Screwdriver and his buddy and they're good stage or maybe yeah. professional people. So they enjoyed it. But I'm happy to do it and I enjoy it. I can tell you, Cardiff, I never left. I didn't go on one run. I, I went from my hotel to Millennium Stadium. I slept three hours. And <laughs> putting the stage together, people like Penguin, Brown Eye, Garfield were there to help us although the stadium was there we had a lot of physical construction work to do that goes on behind the scenes yeah. and it's fun but it's hard sometimes to have an event where you're part of mismanagement that, that you can participate in all the things that the hashers get to do what i found with when we were doing bali together i found that i was at the side of the stage and you were mc at the front i found there was a lot of people coming up who wanted to do a last minute act because I yeah. they were afraid to do it in the beginning, but they thought, oh, we can do that. Yeah. And then everybody wanted to get on and do an act. And it, it was all right. The strange one in Bali, I think, was the showing of the ass and, and all. I don't know what that was about, really. <laughs> You're in entertainment and you know so many more things. I've done much more. But I tell people when I brief the acts and brief the stagehands, just say, this agenda is not going to be what happens. People are yeah. going to be late. They're going to show up. They're going to add acts. They're going to say, can we? change it can we go on in 20 minutes instead of now and it's fun that dynamic trying to make it look like it's just as we planned is the challenge and the fun <laughs> yeah i know where you're coming from definitely yeah. yeah make it look professional even though we aren't professional at it absolutely it's great talking to you and you do have the great hash spirit and this incredible experience that very few people have in the background of these multiple events. But what else about hashing just comes to mind? Well, How does it make you feel when you think or talk about hashing? What I always like, still on Interhash, I guess, it's definitely meeting the people, you know, the characters, so many different wonderful characters. And in Bali, on my, on my hash travels around the world, I've met the most amazingly friendly and uh, most incredible characters. Too many to mention. Some of them you've already interviewed you on your brilliant podcast, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but meeting international hasher friends uh, every year and meeting new people on the local runs i mean it's absolutely wonderful just meeting them catching up with them and it's changed my life definitely from 1993 when i started doing it changed my life i wouldn't have seen parts of the world where i just wouldn't have seen them if i hadn't joined hash yeah cool probably a last word just, just to thank noodles to wish noodles All right i want to wish noodles and her team lots of luck with the trinidad and tobago into hash i think i may have pushed her on stage at bali and dash and said go for it um, ah indeed yeah so lots of luck to noodles and her team for trinidad and tobago you know our hearts are out there with you if you need anything from us we're there for you i have a last question is the ra always right is he always <laughs> ah yes that's a good question yes of course he's right even when he's wrong he's right and I don't think no one would ever dare tell him he's wrong or they'll be put on ice. <laughs> yeah. I want to thank Disco Wanker for coming on the podcast today from Bali, Indonesia. This is the On On Podcast. Hasher stories, hasher history, hasher voices. New episodes every week. Until next time, On On, this is Ra. To close the circle, here's the hash anthem sung by Mother Hash. Sweet.